0: To podcast. All right, so you started a company a decade ago, you weren't always like a content creator. And now I think for the last like th- two or three years, you've probably spent the majority of your time outside of like running a business doing Doing content. What do you think about that? I feel like if I talked to early Ben, it would be like exactly the thing that you don't
1: want to do, but now it seems like you've really found your lane in doing it. You know, it's so funny. If it's a topic that you actually love Mm. and you know, it's so fun. I loved that. I loved it for the Privy podcast. I'm enjoying it for my new thing, right? Especially if you think you have a, a unique angle, but like, if we just like walked into a party, I'm a behind-the-scenes guy, I'm quiet, you know, I like to talk to my wife, whatever. That's who I am, but I do love to write. And so the combination of like, a topic I love with writing and then talking about it is very easy for me, but it took me eight years to figure that out, really. And then since then, I think... We just crossed like over 600 episodes on the other podcast. And I've been doing writing, obviously, for my new thing too, but no podcast yet. I can't get myself to do it again.
0: I think writing though is like, I think a lot of people, especially operators, they don't think of themselves as, they don't see how much writing they're already doing like inside of the company. And so I think like you always had like some type of a weekly update or a weekly email or an investor email. And you're kind of like always putting those thoughts down anyway. And I think the big thing is like, oh, is there a way that you can take a similar approach and start to share some of that publicly as a content creator, especially in a niche where you're focused on something? And so I feel like you've always been a writer, but it's just been more like internal stuff, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think if you're starting any business, you're committing to being great at email. I hate to say it, like a big part of my 10-year journey was just like being on top of my email, because that's just like a metaphor for communication with, with customers, with investors, with internal people, like that's just what it was. So, you know, I was always writing and I actually liked that side of it. What year did you officially start Privy? I think it was 2011, technically. And when were you officially out of Privy? December 1st. So it's been like six weeks. So 11 years? 11 years. Yeah. Crazy.
0: And are you still in, like, what's your involvement now?
1: I'm on a couple calls supporting, like, the Attentive team and the Privy leadership team on ad hoc stuff, but really not doing a ton. And it feels amazing. And it feels like I'm naked, you
0: know? I was going to add. yeah, the reason I was asking is I was going to ask you if it feels weird because, like... As a similar example, my mom retired this year and she worked in the same job for 40 years. Wow. She went to the same place every day for 40 years. And I think coming up on retirement and even like a couple, you know, into it, it was like this like, holy shit moment. Like everyone is so amazed. Like, this is amazing. Congratulations. You're retiring. And she kind of, I feel like she felt this inner, like, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do now. Yeah. (laughs) Like, did you have that? Like, did you have that moment? Because there must, especially if this is your company, this is your thing. And the way that you raise money for the company, like you were very heavily involved in Privy from the beginning, right? Every day for 11 years, you have thought about Privy. Has, Has that been like hard to come down off of?
1: It's so funny. Emily and I, Emily's my wife, we leading up to my transition out, we like had this vision of what it would look like we were like, oh, like, let's go take a salsa class together, you know, like, let's go do this together. (laughs) And now I'm like, I've transitioned out. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, I'm like grinding on this new, like newsletter that I'm doing. And I'm doing investing. And I just like, I have this crazy energy that I haven't felt in years. So like, in some respects, you know, you think You're going to relax and do this, that, and the other thing. And I'm sure your mom can relate. I'd actually love to know what she's doing right now. But then like something innate kicks in that just drives you to do whatever you actually are doing, you know? And so what is that for you? So I've made some major shifts around like fitness and family as my priorities right now. So that's been amazing. You know, go to the gym almost every day after drop off but do lunch and snacks and pick up the girls, put them to nap and all that. And, and then in between that, I might have you know, a call for Privy or I raised a fund to focus on SaaS founders building inside the commerce ecosystem, which is what I know well. And I'm, I'm working closely with founders that I invest in. And then I started a newsletter that goes with the fund. Because I think, you know, what I found was like, I take a call with one of these founders and they ask me about, oh, how'd you do ABC? And then the next founder asks the same thing. And I'm like, well, I don't want to just be a broken record. I might as well write this down. This is clearly like an interesting piece of content and send it to them. And so that's Zero to Exit. And uh, it's a newsletter, it's a blog, and eventually it'll be a podcast too. So. And a fund
0: and a fun for people that I'm going to come back to all this, don't you worry. But for people that don't know who you are, can you just set context on what Privy is slash was you starting the company, exiting the company as much as you can share about that? Just like to recap yeah. on where you're at now.
1: So 11, 12 years ago, I started a company called privy.com and we had a bunch of iterations. We raised about 10 million of venture capital and we became the leader in uh, marketing software for small and mid-sized e-commerce businesses. So these are like t-shirt stores and jewelry stores on top of Shopify. They need tools like pop-ups and coupons and email and, and text marketing. And, and that's what pretty was. Actually, it still is today.
0: Still is. And then you eventually sold the company in twenty twenty June? Yeah. June of 2021.
1: Yeah. Just under two years ago, sold the business. It was amazing. Broke down on the floor crying that morning. Did you? Did you really? Oh my God.
0: Yeah. Because you didn't believe that it was real or like it
1: actually, it all hit you? I think there was so much. Like it was a whirlwind. I always dreamt of selling the business, right? That's like I think every founder does, whether they admit it or not. And uh, we had a bunch of trials and tribulations, COVID killed an acquisition deal that we had on the table. Other deals fell apart over the years. And like this one was the biggest, it was the most exciting. And it was at a point in my life where I just really wanted it. And so like the grueling process of 60 days where you can't really talk about this a lot, all the details. And then like, holy shit, like just finally achieving your dream. I thought I would pop champagne and like go party or something. I just that morning like woke up and just broke down crying and signed in my flip-flops at home.
0: So I actually remember you texted me that morning and you sent me a screenshot of a negative withdrawal balance on your Bank of America (laughs) account before the wire
1: actually hit. That's just like so real. (laughs) I can't believe I sent that to you. Yeah, that was the thing. Like, I mean, the business was growing really nicely for a few years, but like, as the founder, Emily and I had poured everything into the business, even like, you know, week of just basically having no money. It was crazy. (sighs) (sighs) Crazy, man. Did you feel like,
0: I mean, you had so many, I've known you for a while and I've known like the ups and downs of the business. And you actually shared something really interesting in your newsletter. I saw this on Twitter where you shared all of the term sheets that you had gotten... Over the years, did you feel like, were you nervous the whole time that this deal, like, even though it felt so real, did you have this kind of like, I will not, I'm not going to like breathe until this
1: money actually like hits my bank account? Did you feel this like paranoia? You know what was interesting? That was the feeling I had in every other deal that never went through was like, oh, I'm so nervous. I'm so nervous, you know? And like the companies on the other side, I mean, they never told me this, but they can smell that, you know? This time we had a lot going for us. Our revenue was growing nicely. We were basically profitable. And I just like put on this, I don't give a fuck attitude because like I've been down this road before, people have pulled out of deals before. And like, I think we also had a few potential acquirers around the table, which really helped and so it was like the combination of like the business growth spoke for itself my attitude was like serious about getting a deal done and exactly what i wanted out of the deal and we had a few people around the table so like this one actually felt completely different than all the prior deals that never materialized
0: do you think that was because of the compounding of of those things like because of those experiences you're like honestly at this point like whatever will be will be like i'm not going to sweat this like i feel like If it's your first time negotiating something, you have no idea what you're doing. Even if it's a smaller deal than what you ended up selling for, it feels like more money than you've ever had in your life. And you're like, oh, this is it. This is the one. Like uh, The fact that you had term sheets over the years must have also just completely changed your perspective on this thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, you also learn with each, whether it's a financing or an acquisition offer, like You read that thing, you know, it's amazing. It's only like a two page document when you initially get an offer, but there's like so many nuances and so many different structures. So like over 10 years, interestingly, we got eight acquisition offers, right? A bunch of them fell through. One of them obviously made it through all the way. And so like, I think it's a little bit of like stepping stones, plus just like a mentality of like, I know how to get a deal done now. And nothing's going to get in my way. Now, I will say, I did hire a CEO coach that wasn't like an investment banker, but was with me after calls, debriefing, you know, helping me react to stuff like that, which was amazing too.
0: Was this person on calls or like you would just have to fill them in after?
1: Yeah, not on calls, but just was kind of like my confidant because I couldn't really. You know, my board didn't love that I wanted to sell the business and I needed someone that had knowledge about like how transactions happen that could coach me through some of the tough conversations with the bidders and and attentive. It was amazing. How did you find this person? He used to be an investment banker and his name's Mark McLeod. Great guy. He's a CEO coach now he doesn't do banking anymore, but he used to be the guy that like represented a lot of small business software in big exits. Hmm. And so like for years I had read his blog and his newsletter and watched his sessions at like Saster and stuff like that. And he was retiring, but doing this coaching thing. And I, I knew we were getting close to selling. So I, I signed him up.
0: I mean, you must've learned so much through that process. I feel like there probably were times where like, you'd get off the phone. I have no idea. I'm making this up. I'm curious your reaction. But like, you get off the phone, you'd feel like something's real. And he'd probably say something like, no, that's like, that was an intentional technique to get you to do X. Like did shit like that actually happen? Cause I feel like I would be the worst negotiator.
1: (laughs) Yeah. He taught me something really important in a deal, which is something that I'm now bringing to every founder that I work with that really... stuck with me and I think made a big difference for us. Before you sign an offer, whether it's for financing or to sell the business, you need to get on the phone with a counterpart and ask them basically two questions. Does the board of your business have strategic approval to do this deal now? And if we sign this offer letter, what are the one or two or three reasons why the board would pull out of this deal. And like, it sounds so simple, but in the eight acquisition offers we got, I only forced that conversation once. And that was in the deal that we closed. And so like, I understood exactly what you know, needed to happen. And I felt good signing that offer that like the board was, was already like approved. And like, really aside from like financial fraud, this fit with the strategic vision of the business so we could get a deal done.
0: So you're basically it's it's almost like a sales question like does the ultimate yes. authority cuz you could have a internal stakeholder who's so bought in the deal but they take it to the board and they're like ah this is a distraction we're not going to do this we can squash this right now.
1: Right. And that may be like after you've signed the offer letter and you've spent $50,000 on legal and gotten all riled up yourself and maybe one other person on your team completely distracted like you know, it's funny. Yeah. You mentioned sales, like, and I think I'm decent at sales and I did sales for, you know, basically 10 years, but like all of a sudden when there's like a multimillion dollar acquisition offer on the table, you lose sight of like how these things happen and everything's just sales. You know that.
0: Yeah. I also think it speaks to like, none of us, no one can be an expert in anything. And like the way to truly get better at anything is to hire or find a coach. I mean, this is not related to business at all, but like I love golf, as you know, and I've, I finally have the time and the resources to spend a lot on it. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to actually hire somebody. I'm going to hire a coach and I'm going to, and the uh, improvement that I've made learning from an expert and having a coach. And I just think it goes back to like me probably five years ago, whether it was business or life, would have been way too arrogant or like, oh, fuck it. I'm just going to figure this out myself. But the, the value of finding a coach, I think, is so underrated. If you can, if you can do it, right?
1: Yeah. Now, for your golf coach, it sounds like it's been amazing. I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that there's probably like maybe two or three things that he or she has taught you, but it's the combination of like what those two things were and the like consistency that that person's driven that have made the impact.
0: Yeah. And it's also things that like, none of it is groundbreaking stuff, but it's to be able to like bounce, to have conversations and bounce them off, uh, bounce ideas off somebody. And it is exactly what you said. It's like two or three kind of core principles. And this is what this person has done. And so like in your example, you hired this guy, Mark, who was an investment banker. You were not, you were not in those conversations. You hadn't seen all of the intricacies and the inner workings of that. And I just... It brings me back almost like being a kid a little bit. It's like you kind of grow up and you're around sports and other things and like you always have this idea of a coach and then you get into your career and you're just supposed to like figure the shit out on your own or like, you know, you're yeah. going down the rabbit hole, like Googling <laughs> and you're like, you know, deep on Reddit. But I think to get that one-on-one coaching from somebody is, is super valuable. Yeah. Did you make a life-changing amount of money from this deal?
1: <sighs> yeah, I did.
0: And... Has your life changed in a life changing way because of this money?
1: Mm, yes and no. You know, I'm still here in my house. I'm still changing diapers and being a great dad. You know, no, I'm like, like this is the same thing. This is the same, setup, the same setup that I talked to you for three yeah. years. <laughs> I know. I got to mix it up. I'm thinking about <laughs> no, no. remixing it. <laughs> well, but the like, a Ferrari yet? Nothing has changed. You know, that's not me. I think it. It's also nice that this exit came when I am happily married with two kids and like settled in life versus like when I was 25, you know, it might've been a (laughs) different story and I'm, I'm afraid for that. But like, so in, in, I would say in 99 respect, like percent of life aspects, no, nothing's changed. I think there's, you know, there's just new stuff that enters your mind that I never really considered before.
0: You can choose to answer this or not, but did you do anything with the money that was not buying things for yourself like did you give money to family like i feel like you're such a family oriented person and even with me i've done very well i haven't done as well as you cuz you're the founder of a 10 year company but like my first instinct was like i got to give some money back to some people like did you do anything like that i feel like that's something that knowing you would like make you feel really whole
1: <laughs> yeah we did a handful of those things it felt incredible no one asked for them There was a lot of tears and, um, it was cool.
0: Yeah. That to me, like that feels like the most satisfying and like goosebump driven thing is to like, to be able to do that to your family. And I know like they've supported you so much must've been just like, I'm going to cry right now. That must've been like an unbelievable, uh, part of this journey. I just think like a lot of people, you see all this bullshit on Instagram and, you know, nice cars and watches and all that nonsense. And I know that you're such a family person. And I just, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on was just to have some of this conversation because I feel myself in a similar way. And I'll even have conversations where I think that we're spending a lot of money and then I'll go meet with my finance guy. And he's like, dude, you have no idea what people do. (laughs) Yeah.
1: He's like, you have no idea what people do when they make money. One of the best days of my life was not the day we signed the deal. But the day when all the, you have to like hire this third party like banking company to handle the distributions, I think the number was like 60 wires that went out that day. And that was the greatest day of my life. Like, think about that, right? There's all these people that over a 10 year period make a bet on you. Right, and that could be like they supported you, they joined your company, they wired you ten thousand dollars without even understanding what software is, <laughs> and then like I just like watched those go out one by one, and I got these phone calls from family and friends and like teammates, like it was just that was amazing, man. That was crazy.
0: Yeah, that's a cool part that I never thought about. Is like to be you get to be part of that day and like people's lives changing, and it could mean you know, it's not even to say that like everybody makes millions and millions off of these things, but that could be 12 grand goes to somebody who like that can become like a down payment
1: to a piece of a down payment to start a house. Right. Totally. Yeah. For your rent for the year. Totally. Yeah. I got some slacks from teammates that didn't make seven figures, but made six figures and bought that house. Exactly. Like you said, I was like, you know, I just don't know. I know exactly what went into getting to that day. And I don't know that I will ever get to a day quite like that again in my life. So very thankful.
0: Would you have signed up for 10 years of this if you had known in 2011 that it was gonna be 10 years and this would be the outcome? You
1: know, it's a really interesting question. I think I am glad I didn't know what it took. Obviously (laughs) it's easy to sit here and say like, it all worked out, it all worked out, right? but it could have just as easily not have worked out but i will say the 10 year journey has taught me that like to create something incredible you need to be thinking on a multi year horizon like you yep. really really do when i first started Privy, i was like oh yeah it's probably 3 4 years and then like you just sell your company that's what everyone does but yeah that was uh, actually a gift i think for me in life
0: yeah. Sometimes I listen to uh, My First Million Podcast and uh, Sam Parr and Sean on that show, they talk about like the selling at year three or four is when you think that you would make a lot of money, but it actually becomes the real stuff happens in year six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. And I think about the Privy example in that a lot, where at the time you probably had an offer at three or four years to sell, and it still would have been material for you and your family, right? But it's not going to have the same impact impacting 60 plus other people as it would a decade later.
1: Totally. Yeah. I just went through all the old term sheets and like, I looked up stock prices today. It was actually a super fun exercise and I'm very thankful that none of those worked out. Honestly.
0: You mentioned getting back into fitness and uh, family. What was your relationship with fitness over the last 10 years? Like what were you doing or not
1: doing? And now that you are doing what was my relationship? So I always ate reasonably well, you know, like not hardcore paleo, but definitely try to stick to it and and focus on fruits and veggies and good proteins. So that was okay. But like, I was a competitive athlete in high school and beginning of college, like I did. And then I just stopped. I stopped sweating. I think, honest to God, it was probably like ten years (laughs) since I I really sweat from a workout, not like a sauna or something like that. So like, that's a huge issue, you know. Um, And I didn't have any health issues; I just didn't feel amazing. And so like, when you think about okay, you have security, right? You achieved a major goal in your life. What do you want to do next? Like before I prioritize any other work stuff, like. That's what it is for me, and I've never felt better. And on Instagram, I'm posting pictures of my eight packs and stuff like. No, you know that's not me. But I just feel good, and that's like if I feel good, then that means I'm going to be a better dad. I'm a better husband, and you know, with the little time I have, you know, I'll be more productive.
0: And do you think now that you're reaping some of those benefits? Like, if you could go back ten years, would you have tried to like carve out time to do that? Yeah, change. you felt at all.
1: Yeah. I mean, I can hear this episode in my head already and it's like, okay, here's a guy who sold his company and he's working out. (laughs) Like, okay, I understand, but I say that only because like, I think the right thing would have been for me to either wake up early or go to the gym after work or something like that.
0: Yeah. Um, No, but I think it's better. I appreciate that you, I'd rather you be honest about it because I think there's more of a lesson in like, and that's more real, which is like life happens in different seasons and waves. And like, you just, you know, not everything can be in perfect balance at that point in time. And it's easier to say that now and be like, well, you should have prioritized this or that, but something would have slipped. And also you're building a company and you're getting, you know, you're trying to have a relationship with your wife and you have kids. It's not that easy. I'm more asking just because like, I'm just such a believer in that now. And I want to just like, to advocate for like the physical and mental benefits of exercise. Now, like I'm more interested in like, I think it's amazing that it's, you know, you're now Ben 4.0 or whatever you are. And this is like now part of what you will do moving forward. Right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that's a really good way to think about it. When I was building the company, I had time for two things. That was my wife, my family and the company, right? So friends and fitness. Took a backseat. Yeah, I would hang out and, like, you know, it's all good. But, you know, now that, that the company's, you know, no longer for me, I can fit more into that and prioritize the structure of the day the way I want. And that's so been what, a huge what, win for me.
0: What do you do? You mentioned going to the gym every day or so.
1: What do you do that gets you sweaty? Oh, so I'm a few things. I, I'm a subscriber to the Peloton app, Peloton Digital. It's like, 10 bucks a month i don't have the machine i don't like biking i don't row but i do the classes like on my apple tv like 20 minute cardio with like no weights or i'll bring it on my phone and i'll go run on the treadmill like the entertainment and the content from that app is just it's unbelievable so i'm bullish in one year i've never worked out as much and that's thanks to peloton and then also like a couple times a week i do classes So I just like look at the class schedule for the gym that I go to near my house and I do some are the same, but I would say it's like usually a combo of like hardcore cardio because that's what I need to break that sweat and full body stuff, you know?
0: Well, the common thread between both of those things is just like, you don't have to think about what am i going to do. You either go to a class and you just know from 10 to 11, I'm going to be in this class and I just do whatever they say. Or I open this app on my phone and it tells me what to do. I think that that is such a underrated thing. It's just like that. It just goes back to finding a coach. It's like, tell me what to do and I'm going to do it and I'm going to be
1: happy. Right, right. Like, I feel great about the outcome of that. I don't care about how I get there. So that's not an area that I want to like become a master and spend time myself.
0: Yeah. But do you do see it part of like your daily kind of operating system now for what you want to get done in a day?
1: Yeah, and, and my wife, you know, we take turns on who's doing drop off and pick up so that, you know, we can go to the classes we want and, you know, all that stuff. Do
0: you ever think about that so much of what got you here was your drive and ambition and how you're going to instill that in your kids when your mm. kids are going to grow up and be wealthy,
1: <laughs> have it easy? I think about that all the time. I do think about it all the time. I don't have a great answer for it now. I think I don't know man. I think Emily was amazing because she had a job very early. Mm. And her parents would always say to her, "Oh, okay, you want that thing? Well, just use your own money." And that I think instilled this amazing behavior which was similar to me. You know, I used to ref soccer and like I was a big ref right? Like you can make 25 bucks a game. That was like amazing. And so like, I never really needed to ask my parents for anything that I wanted, you know, in my teen years. And she didn't either. And like, I think just instilling this understanding that like, if you want something, it's in your control to get it, I think is, is key. Yes, we're going to go on some awesome trips and do that stuff, and that's great. I'm not going to try to shield them from like the fact that we we did this, but I think it is really important that like they work for what they want, even if that's at McDonald's. Like I think that's an amazing experience, you know. Wherever it is, the bigger fear I have is that my daughters are six and two, and they actually will never see me like going to an office. Interesting, or they right now at least like, unless I find something I'm super passionate about, they're not going to see me working late nights, right? Like, you saw your mom and dad doing that for forty years, right? I saw my mom and dad doing that, so that more than like, you know, anything else in this situation is is probably my biggest fear, and I I don't have a great answer for that one yet.
0: Man, I can't even, that's so weird how things happen. I had literally had this thought last night in the shower and it's so fucking weird that you just said that because I've never been able to articulate it, but I'm like, so much of what I prided myself on was working hard. And, you know, one of the staples of hard work, as far as kids see it's like, you know, your mom and dad are, they're up early and they're home late and they're always juggling around and like, well, you know, mom's not here right now because she's traveling for work. Dad's doing this thing. And like, I just, I work at home and I, I sit in this office all day and I'm always yeah. here. I and know. I'm like, what the hell are they going to think that I do? I was talking to a, a computer all day. And it's such a, I've never been able to articulate until you said that. And I wrote it down because I'm going to talk to Leah about it when when she's home later. But that is exactly true. Like, how do I show them hard work? and I think I do think one thing that I do have in life now, it's why I care a lot about fitness and they, they see that. And they, so, they see me lifting weights, they see me running. They see me doing that. They see that type of hard work. But, you know, my daughter said something to me the other day. She's like, dad, you don't go to work. <laughs> <laughs> she's
1: right. You wear sweatpants too.
0: The, she's, she, all she knows is me sitting in this front of this fucking I computer, like know. talking to somebody. And uh, yeah. that is such an interesting piece of this is, 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 is that part. But there's some element of like, I'm not, I got to find a way. I think you got to find a way to teach that because I do think that the trade-off is like, you will get to be there for breakfast every morning, and you'll get to be yes. there for dinner every night, and you'll get to be at every game, and you'll get to be at doing everything. So that's not to take away from you know my parents or anybody who who had to who had to make those sacrifices, but yeah. I do think there's lots of positive trade offs there. And then the other thing I was going to say to you is, um, Jerry Seinfeld had this great line that Lee and I always talk about, where he says his daughter or his, one of his kids said to him, "Daddy, are we rich?" And she's he said, "No, I'm rich." <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's such a Seinfeld thing, right?
0: But... It's such a Seinfeld line, oh but like that—that's also another way that that you can approach it. Do you have time to keep going, or you got to go? Do you have a, like a one o'clock? Uh, you got here. You can. You can say yes. It's
1: okay. no. I actually don't even know. I'm good for like five more. Yeah,
0: let's do five more. So that's an interesting topic. Is like how are you going to instill them hard work? And it's also it also sucks because you're like I'd be banging my head. Like, do you know how hard Ben worked for ten <laughs> for eleven years, like to I grind know. to get to this point?
1: Yeah, I know. I'm less worried about it for my six-year-old and more for my two-year-old that actually won't even know probably the word privy, I imagine, by the time she's six.
0: Yeah. Or if she knows it, she'll still spell it wrong. and put it
1: in. <laughs> Like everyone does.
0: Oh it's my great. gosh. I did something like a couple of weeks ago and they were like, somebody wrote like former CMO at privy. And I'm like, can you please take the two V's out of there? <laughs> That's great. What do you think about Shopify having no meetings with more than two people? You seen that?
1: Yeah, I saw that. I think it's brilliant. In my later period after the acquisition, I I felt this feeling of like I can't accomplish much anymore for my business. Why is that? Because larger companies and meetings and the combination of like larger groups of people meeting on Zoom means that like people are shy you know, there's, there's power dynamics at play, which aren't right. And like, you're not like collaboratively working towards something. So like, what's the benefit of that? Just, just make a a loom and, and send an email. I'm a big believer in that. I think the challenge just from the other perspective. So like, as a leader, I agree with that decision, but from an A individual contributor perspective who is hungry to understand how decisions are made at an organization to feel aligned to that company. I think that becomes impossible. Now, let's talk about Shopify for a second, amazing company, but like a mid level manager on the support team at Shopify is probably never going to get exposure to Toby, the CEO, outside of all hands anymore which you might argue is the right thing for a CEO of a 10,000-person company, but had they been in a meeting together for an hour and Toby even had one remark with a little bit of context, even if he was pissed off about something, that person understands that context in a way that it's going to be really hard to get now, right?
0: Yeah, that's a really good observation. I hadn't thought of it for that angle. I think for me personally, like, A big part of my formative career stuff was I was working at Constant Contact at the time and they had maybe 2,000 employees and my boss would invite me into these bigger meetings and I'm in these cross-functional meetings for like product launches and I didn't say shit, obviously, because I was scared, but you get to see what's happening and I I hadn't thought of it. And someone's going to say, well, they could listen to the meeting recording, but it, it is different than actually... Being there in person. Okay, one more yeah. question. I'll let you off the hook. We'll do more of these maybe later. I don't know. All right. um, what do you think is going to happen in the in the SaaS world? Mm.
1: You know, when we sold the company for what I thought was a lot of money, I was hearing from other founders who had one million dollars of revenue raising rounds of funding at a hundred million valuation, and I was just like, this just is crazy. You know, Privy never really saw that level of activity, like in our history. So like we built the company during a phase where valuations were normal and normal is still high, right? Like depending on your growth rate, it's anywhere from like four to 10 X your revenue. And I just think that that's what it's gonna look like because that's what it should be. And we're dealing with another 18 months ahead of us of like weird situations because people raised during that inflated time, but it's just going to get back to how it was before. And people will have to focus on profit. And, you know, by the way, my dad always thought I was crazy that like Privy was not profitable for a while, right? So I think you can still have a software business with incredibly high margins that's growing rapidly and profitable. That's possible.
0: So you'd think the normal is going to be like four to five X as opposed to 10, 20, hundred X.
1: I think the 10, 20s and more will come for like the absolute winner, the sure. premium brand, something truly unique. But for the rest of us, yeah, I think it'll kind of deflate to call it four to eight X.
0: All right, cool. Ben, thank you for doing this. It's
1: great really to catch up you. now.
0: Great to catch up with you. Okay, ready? Go ahead.
1: You're listening to Dave's podcast.
0: That was great. Do one more. Say, you're listening to Dave Gerhardt's podcast.
1: You're listening to Dave Gerhardt's podcast.
0: Awesome.